Gurumila Mahagas Eileen, you're welcome to the late debate. We're joined, uh, we're coming to you live this evening, evening from Sheriff Street Youth Club in Dublin's north inner city. Welcome to what should be, what is in many ways, the best address in Ireland, close to O'Connell Street and all of Dublin City's amenities with a close knit community with a familial spirit. But, and here is the serious but that has been go ongoing here for many, many decades. And in recent times, a series of merciless murders in a space of time, a very, very short space of time, most of which occurred within minutes of where we are here tonight, have forced politicians to listen to the cries of the community once again here. The gangland murders get the headlines. The community has been crying for help, for assistance for many, many years. And the headlines recent, in recent times have forced people to take note and to listen. We're joined by the residents, some of them here in the youth club, by community leaders. We're also joined by some politicians, some of whom are Minister Pascal Donoghue of Fine Gael, Deputy Leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald, former Minister of uh, Fianna Fáil, Pat Carey, former Minister of the Labour Party, Joe Costello, and uh, Aon O'Reardon, Christy Burke, uh, independent uh, councillor and former Mayor of Dublin, and others as well. But we're joined, as it's I say... Maureen O'Sullivan. Uh, Maureen O'Sullivan, sorry. Independent uh, TD. Independent TD uh, and others, of course. But can I ask the politicians, before you say a word, to listen to the residents for a few minutes, first of all. And can I ask Anna Quigley, first of all, who's here beside me, um, to talk to me of the Inner City Organisations Network, Tell me about the challenges faced by this community. We've heard the headlines, but what's, what's happening here? I'll just say, first of all, Cormac, the room we're sitting in here is full of people who for years and years, decades, as you say, have been highlighting the issues affecting this community and have been hugely active in trying to respond to them. Um, and it is, you know, that, that campaigning has been going on for years and years. And it is shocking to think that it does take people getting shot on the street to actually bring the, this attention to the community because people have, have been trying to do it for so many years. I suppose, I mean, and the... The reality is at the, at the bottom of all the issues that we're going to talk about tonight is the economy. Um, and years ago, this was a working, in the north inner city, it was a working community. This area here that we're in, Sherry Street, is a perfect example. Um, the docks was where people worked, where the men worked. There was a lone local project, um, Lourdes Youth and Community Services. They did a study a few years ago of the number of small factories that used to be in the area that had all shut down. There were over hundreds of them. It was a working community. People worked. Um, but that kind of employment, it all disappeared um, through the 60s, 70s and into the 80s. We had major unemployment. And that's why we get all concentrated in particular parts of the city. So it was concentrated here. So unemployment was the beginning of it all. And then you had the next generation coming through. You had young people coming into families where there was nobody working. So you had the next generation unemployment. And just give you one example of how people in this area responded, particularly young people in the 1980s, because people were very aware of youth unemployment, because once you get into intergenerational unemployment, you've got really serious it's problems about getting people back into work. And there was a group of young people in this area. I don't know if people remember they were called the Youth Employment Action Group in the 80s, led by Martin Brennan. They were young people who decided themselves that they were going to try and get employment into this area. They ran a brilliant campaign and they succeeded in getting an IDA um, centre into the site up there at the corner of Gardner Street and Parnell Street. They worked incredibly hard and that was seen back then as a huge victory success for the community in the 80s because this was going to mean jobs for people in the area. And what happened, they got the, the uh, IDA centre, but there was no support then to bring real 
real jobs into that centre. And, and, that, and that's a con- and for consistent years, theme. But can for I come- years it laid empty, but the final bit of the story, that was recently demolished. And before it was demolished, it had turned into a centre of drug dealing and all sorts of related activities. And in a way, it's kind of, it se- says everything because the drug trade became rooted in this area because the economy, the local economy, was devastated. And I think and you've given a pretty good summary of to, why the problems persist in this area. But can I come to Gary Gander, a councillor with the Social Democrats? Is it true, Gary, and some people listening to this programme from uh, con- uh, counties who don't have those problems, is it true that youths, young people, as young as 12, 13, 14, 15, get sucked into gangland crime? I can't get my head around that. I guess, well, no, we were sitting at this moment in time as a shared of you club, and my young people, 8, 9, 10 and upwards, get sucked in. They hear sports and recreation. I mean, I'm very lucky in this building where I'm sitting now with a picture on the wall here, because this is where I learned about civility. This is where I learned about responsibility. I was very lucky to play for Shared of OIC, so no, that's not true. But what there is a very clear line here is it's, it's poverty, it's deprivation, it's the levels of inequalities that exist here, which create the conditions by which young people and all the people get sucked into a life of crime. Where we're but, but hold on. I was talking to Pat Gates, coordinator with the Young People at Risk. Sure. He told us that young people, 16 years old, can earn 500 euros a day if they're runners for gangland criminals. I mean, that's possible. And that emphasis on the gangland criminals as well. These are not the young people who are benefiting from this. Now, five, six hundred euro a day, I absolutely don't believe that. I used to work in youth clubs and I don't, I still speak to a lot of young people around this area all the time. Most of the young people are doing the mule and across the city. They're doing it to cover the cost of their own addictions. And there's not five, six hundred, six hundred euro being made in this environment. They're at being all. exploited by the gangs, though. They're being absolutely exploited. They're being, um, yeah, they're being brought into it. They're being groomed into gangland criminality. Is that, does that, get, very, is that a, 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 an often, uh, does that happen very often? Is it a common occurrence? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's people, there's a lot of young people around this area and areas such as ours who have been groomed into criminality. The reason why you've been doing that is through a lack of opportunity to being exploited, the deprivation that exists here, the lack of... Um, a lack of escapism through kind of opportunity, through opportunity. Where we're sitting here at the moment, we're directly in between the OFSC and Nocturne's pub, where kind of young Martin O'Rourke was shot there recently. There isn't a place in this country where the line between poverty and privilege is so pronounced, and two communities don't engage with each other. And that's something, Aon O'Rear, the former minister of the, the Labour Party, that it's it's difficult to fathom until you actually see it with your own two eyes. You you're walking near the Keys, walking past the financial services centre, walking past billionaires. And you turn the corner and you're into social deprivation. How does that happen? Yeah, but I, I want to say this one thing about this, this community. This community changed my life when I came in as a, as a teacher here and, and changed, it, changed it for the better. And I think sometimes there can be a knee-jerk reaction to, to kind of issues that happen in, in, in any community that... I mean, people talk about lack of investment. There has been, in my time here as a teacher, and this is not a a political point at all because Bertie Hearn would have been a local a local TD here and there was a, a quite a, a lot of, of investment but I think what happens kind of uh, historically in the inner city is that due to social mobility people have moved out and if I look at my own school and the Robux in my own school and, and the Christian Brothers around the corner you know, the, the classes in the, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, and Jerry Fay here beside me will probably agree with me here, there was been 45, 50 to a class. And now that, that, that's whittled down to an awful lot less. Than why that. would people move out? Because I know for, for various different reasons. But, but, well, but, why, but, if, but the, if you get a job, if, you, if you're yeah. from this area, if you get a job in a bank in the IFSC, why would you not live here? It, 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 it happens in all parts of the country, social mobility. I know, you're saying it's pronounced here. Why so? No, well, 
uh, just the point I was trying to make was that the, the availability of social housing didn't actually come, or, you know, community housing, if you like, didn't actually come uh, to replace housing that, that, that was lost. The community has been stripped away. It's a smaller community now. And if you do have a difficult family, and let's not, you know, make any bones about it, you do have intergenerational problems of people who are making money out of drugs here and right across the country as well. If there is a problem family, their influence is greater now than it was 30, 40 years ago uh, because of that social mobility. But I, may, I make a number of points about, you know, the connection between maybe this area or the north of the city and drugs. The customers for the drug industry don't all live in Dublin 1. The, the, the customers for the drug industry live right across the city in supposedly more affluent areas, but it's the effect of that industry and the hurt that's caused by it it's is, felt mo- here. is most uh, pronounced. Can, can I come to Jerry Fay, who's chair of the North Wall Community Association, who's right behind you. Talk to me for a minute, Jerry, if you don't mind, about the challenges faced here as you see them. What are the main problems here? The main problem here in this community is investments, lack of housing, lack of jobs, lack of opportunity. You have to go back. You you uh, you opened by saying that this is what was one of the most prestigious addresses in Dublin. You're absolutely right because what you have here is the absolute wealth of this country, right beside us here across the road, living side by side with the most probably poorest uh, sector and underprovided. You go back to 1986, the Hawhey Urban Renewal Plan in conjunction with Dermot Desmond that set about building the financial services and the question was we had 18 blocks of flats and we're sitting on part of that now in this building there you had 475 housing units and we are very close in the community with two two playgrounds we had an, uh, a tennis court uh, we were a, a booming thriving economy at that time now unfortunately a couple of things happened one was the containerization generally referred to was this, the fall of the docks which kind of uh, we took an economic hit on that took away an awful lot of jobs basically it did yeah but the whole he planned with the financial services we had meetings in the church packed to capacity people came down from what was then the custom house docks authority and told us about the wonderful plans how it would change everything we were building a new city quarter blah 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 and six months later, the Minister of the Day, Mr P. Flynn from Mayo, the Environment Minister, issued a demolition order that's, uh, for the total demolition of, of the flats. So that was, a, that was the benchmark. That's where we knew where we were going. Okay, and that's that- where we knew that we wouldn't be living. They didn't want us living beside there. So what you have continually down the years is gentrification and colonisation of the Dockland. We went through the Dockland Master Plan 17 years ago, up to March of this year, where we were part of that, and we were to get 20% social affordable housing on Spencer Dock. That was written in. That wasn't just a promise. That was part of what was built on Spencer Docks in the luxury houses, bought by film stars, rugby stars, and you name it. Right? We never got the 188. Why right? not? Why not? Why not? Because the, they just allowed the clock to run down. The DDA went bust, uh, made of bags of it. There was a Dockland uh, dissolution bill brought in by the government, right? Only signed off in March that transferred all the assets from the DDA to Dublin City Council. And in that bill, in that bill, there was one, one or two lines, but it was the most important part of that bill. It gave the Minister of the Day, the Environment Minister, power as a stroke of a pen to deal with all the legacy issues 
including the 188 social affordable housing, and another 70 built under Part 5 down at the Pint Village. So that was 250 social housing that we didn't get, and that's where your problem so, is. So you're saying this happened last March, is it right? Yeah. This March, a couple of weeks ago. That so, so, no, hang on a minute here, hang on a minute. Because you had a Mayo man, another Mayo man, Antishach Hendekenny from Fenagail, who held a meeting this week in this locality, promising, uh, and nobody can say that his promises aren't genuine, but at a, a couple of weeks ago, you had what could have been promises fulfilled taken away from the communities. That's basically what you're saying to me. What I'm saying is that's something like in the reason maybe 300 not social houses that would have provided homes for our, for our people, would have provided social regeneration. When you look at the master plan, you open the first page, the first thing it says is <coughs> social and economic regeneration in parity of esteem. The DDA capitulated completely to well, developers. Let, let me put that point business. in, Minister Pascal Dunhu. You're at the cabinet table, you're from Fine Gael. you were with the Taoiseach promising the sun, moon and stars and, and, you, and, no, you, are genu- and you are no, genuine. No, excuse me. No, hold on. No, no, well, no. Well, well, you, had, you, you had the opportunity to give Ma- housing, you had the opportunity okay. to make investment, and you took it away, basically. Well, Cormac, the reason why I was so minded to interrupt you, which I rarely do to a presenter, because I have great respect for you, is you made the allegation that we were down here promising the sun, moon and stars. And for anybody who was in the room, and a number of people were, they will have heard the Taoiseach say very clearly that we were not down here to make promises. And I can see some people acknowledging that. Well, hold on, no, no Cormac, I am no, going to no, finish my correct, point. He came correct, down, correct you. I spoke he with came down, were at the meeting, and what and, he and did, the Taoiseach Cormac, said, the he came down said here, just that let he me would speak. not be found wanting. No, Cormac, are you going to let me speak, please? Absolutely, go on. Okay, well, thank you. Taoiseach said he wouldn't be found wanting, though. <clears throat> well, look, I'll do my best to answer your questions, but if you'd allow me just go to on, finish the points I'm making. I mean, what I've been very struck by is um, most of my political colleagues who've commented on it so far um, have acknowledged that there has been investment here, okay? And what we have to acknowledge is that more is needed. If you look at where we're sited here at the moment, uh, in the land that's right beside us here, in the Irish Rail land, uh, work will begin later on this year on uh, homes, on commercial property there, which gives the ability to provide the employment and provide the jobs. If you look at the area that Jerry is referring to down there, the strategic development zone for Docklands at the end of here, that's going ahead. Can you address Jerry's point, please? Yeah, of course I'll address it. The situation that we had with Dublin Docklands Development Authority is we had an entity that was bankrupt. With an entity that was bankrupt by the kind of economic collapse that ruined our country and that had a cost here. And what the government needed to do in order to get that entity back to a point where we could actually go and make things happen is bring it into Dublin City Council, which is the right thing to do, and make decisions to get investment going. And that investment is now going to be happening. And at the heart of the analysis, at the heart of the analysis, at the heart of the analysis that unequivocally offered, well, I'm just going to finish my point, please. At the heart of the analysis, analysis, that Anna offered, and she is correct, has been a lack of jobs and a lack of investment over many decades. And the simple point I'm attempting to make to you here is we need to build upon that. But what is happening here at the moment is very significant projects of the largest and the kind in the city will be beginning here across the next 12 months. Gary Gannon, can I come to you, especially on that point, the the triple DDA, and I'll come to Joe Costello as well, did that happen, in, in your understanding of it, did that happen? Were houses promised, uh, promised under the DDDA um, plan handed over to Dublin City Council and then taken away at the stroke of a pen? 
we kind of talked about the DDI and I think probably Christy broke beside me here would give a better kind of understanding of that across the last three decades because I think that's how far it goes back for me I think Pascal's point about investment though is very important for me because the last five years of the government that we previously had we had choices to make now in the room the other night with the Taoiseach met, there was about 30 people there from different community development projects and more I mean what happened in community development over the last five years is received a 37% cut to community development funding that's disproportionate to any other sector in the, his- in the whole of this country and that has a knock-on effect. That has a knock-on effect in the type of programmes that you're seeing, their ability to operate, to provide the services needed. The reduction in services that happened over the last five years to so that 37% cut were the very ones which people were in that room for the other day asking could we have them back. Because these are the people that can help solve the problems that create this culture down here. I mean, I was very conscious in that room the other day when people were asked about police and solutions. That's more than what you were asked for. We can't do anything to stop Why not? Because we can't do anything to stop the current field as it is. That's already happened. But the people in that room, they could stop the next feud and the feud after that and that was very important I think that was the sense I got from that meeting the other day was if you want to create the conditions that we can stop people from getting engaged in criminality it's you've got to be able to trust the community trust the people that are working with these from early years right up to their adult years that was the sense I got I I spoke to a number of people who were at the meeting and an awful lot of people were extremely happy was that your impression of the meeting with Enda Kenny held here last um, this week Look, I, don't, I was there in an observational capacity, so I don't want to offer criticism to that meeting. I'd be very interested. What did you make of the meeting? Well, in terms of that meeting the other day, I, I've seen that Pascal said there wasn't promises made. I've seen a couple of promises that were made, and I'm going to trust the Taoiseach and Pascal to deliver on them. In terms of the, the actual experience right. of that, I think that's very important. Well, I'm not going to criticise the meeting uh, the day, but waiting on the outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened at the meeting, there were a lot of people there, for local people from local groups and projects, and they gave really, really strong presentation on the work they do, work that's absolutely crucial to this community. And what happened there was all of these projects, uh, they're doing key work services, like a huge amount of emphasis on childcare, care for young people. They're doing crucial work in the area, and they've all been struggling, absolutely struggling to survive. The childcare service just across the road here is a good example struggling to survive. People have been in that position struggling and they have two and a half minutes in front of the Taoiseach and several of his ministers. Naturally, they're going to use the opportunity to say, we need funding, because they do. And if, as a result of that, those groups get funding, that's great. But we all know that is only very short term. That is not the solution. And it's back to what Jerry Fay is talking about. Like, while... If, if money comes into projects, great, they need it, they're struggling for it. But unless the overall policies change, because it's those policy decisions, like the one that set up the strategic development zone, when a deliberate decision was made, and Jerry Fay has often talked about this, to, to draw the line to keep this area outside of it. So that means that the, the, the brochure for the strategic development zone, which the council is now using, it gives a profile of the population. Um, the majority are young couples um, with third level education, 80% of them. And that was, that, that line was deliberately drawn to exclude the resident communities. Okay, and people so are that, wary that of could that. Be could, the that could happen again, Joe Costello. It happened with the Triple D-A, it happened with the IFSE, it could happen again here. Well, this is our, this is what we must make sure that we avail of the opportunity that it doesn't happen again. Patricia came along, he came with his four senior ministers, three junior ministers, and he did make a very strong commitment that he was ready for the challenge, he was up for it, he would keep an eye on it himself 
himself and that he would deliver on this occasion. Now, what Jerry has said about the reasons for the demise of the area, for the the, the, the reduction in, in services and all the, the, the employment, etc., really has to do with containerization. All the employment that was here, it disappeared almost overnight. Nothing replaced it. Then when the Docklands Development Authority arrived, there was 30 years of urban renewal. And the, urban, the master plan indicated clearly that it would be equal or uh, social and economic uh, regeneration that would take place. But, why, hold on but what happened was the social, the, the social regeneration didn't take place. Why not? Was, why couldn't the meeting we had this <coughs> week not have happened in 2011 or 2012, an awful lot of yeah. lives could have been saved. The social regeneration didn't take place because there was nobody to ensure that it took place. What does that mean? Policy, so, you were there. You could have no, ensured no, it was we, we were blue in the face, myself and Tony Gregory and others were blue in the face, talking. We were on the council, but it went up to the executive we weren't listened to and no decision was made in our favour. For example, Jerry talked about social housing. 37 units of social housing were delivered here. Clarion Key, that's the only lot, out of 300 that's in the master plan. They left it all to the end. And it was to be in a single block in Spencer Dock, and it never did. And it never happened. Can never I bring in Mary Lou MacDonald of Sinn Féin? Just one, last Quickly. Point, just one last point about it. That unless you get the economic generation of somebody able to deliver it, because we put through the legislation in December, and Maureen and myself argued strongly on the legislation to strengthen it. It was only put through last December 2015, the Dissolution Act, to put in place an oversight structure that would ensure that on this occasion the 23,000 jobs that are planned in the, so, in the strategic development... Yeah, will happen. Home, but Mary will, will that reassure people? Because if I was from this locality and I heard so many promises like that before, I would be wary of promises made this time round. Well, first of all, Cormac, can I just say to you, just to be careful of our language, you are not in a gangland. This is not a gangland. I never said that. I never this said that. This is, you are in I the heart. I, I said gangs operate in this and other areas in the city. Yes, and, that is but a fact. I, and I want to make it clear, and this is the position that we have to, have to start from. This is not a gangland. This is the, the centre, the heartbeat of Dublin City. This is an old community. This is a proud community, and this is a community. They, you ask the question, why did all of this happen? None of this is accidental. That's, that's actually true. Why did it happen? Because, yes, there was investment, but there was investment for big business. There was investment in big, shiny buildings. There certainly wasn't investment in housing. There hasn't been anything like the kind of investment that's required in education. And this place... and. It's not just Sheriff Street. Go right across the north inner city and you see the story told time and time again. This is a story of political failure. And the opportunity we have now is to turn that around. And that won't happen by the Taoiseach. With the greatest of respect for him, coming to a single meeting. The meeting you asked about it, it was a good-tempered meeting. I thought it was a very polite meeting, given uh, everything that's happened. Uh, but I wasn't... Uh, heartened by the fact that the day after he stood up in the doll and said well you know the problems in the inner city are small things it's like cracked pavements if, 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 if who, who agrees hear, with that who agrees with that comment no, 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 no. nobody agrees with that and furthermore and just to say it in fairness to people who are at the meeting as polite as the meeting was that's not what the Taoiseach was told. Mm. The Taoiseach has been told in no uncertain terms 
the depth of the problems here. The problems are not going to be fixed overnight. But we all know that. Will deliver in turn. And let me tell you, Cormac, and we've a room full of people here uh, alongside myself and others. And he has now said that he'll deliver. And by God, we intend making sure okay. that he delivers. L- let me bring a voice from the locality. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan uh, runs this club, the Sheriff's uh, Street Youth Club. But I don't. I'm part of the committee. Well, I, I'm giving you a promotion. You, you have a question for Minister Pascal Dunahoo, I believe. I do. Um, we've heard this so many times about renewal in the area. Now, there's a new development getting built, as you said. Mm-hmm. The question I'm going to ask you is how many local people are going to be guaranteed jobs in this? Because we've had it down here over so many years. There's so much building getting done around this area. And we've had little or no local employment. <laughs> now, before we start this thing where we're going to build a whole new hotel, new houses, and new everything else, I think the local people should be guaranteed a certain amount of those jobs. Because, in fact, it's in their area. And we need to show that we can do this as well. Minister. Sure, and I can't guarantee... Sure, I, I can't guarantee that anybody will get a job, is the honest answer. But what I have seen, what I have seen, if you let me finish off my answer, is I have seen an approach to this elsewhere in the constituency that does work. I've seen the effect of this in the Grange Gorman project, which isn't located here, but it's beside us. It's the largest third level development in the entire country, over tens of acres that has delivered construction jobs that have employed local people. How many, Pascal? I've seen that approach. I've seen it, well, from the feedback that I've got from people who are involved in it, it's employed many tens of people on the site alone. No, actually, no, no, just let me finish it off. No, that's the information I have received. I've also seen where it hasn't worked. I've seen where it hadn't worked, which is in relation to the construction of Docklands and the IFSE, where it didn't have a local dividend. So what I'm very clear on is as we look at a model for how we respond back to what we need to do here, we have to ensure that the kind of approach that was used in Grange Gorman is replicated here because we're going to have the largest projects of their kind in the city happening locally. And one final point I'll make, if you just allow me to do so. I mean, we're talking about educational investment. In the school in which we had the meeting in on Tuesday night, they have 65 pupils. They have 17 people involved in teaching. Okay, 10 teachers, 7 SNAs. It's one of the best pupil to staff member ratios in the country. A pupil to staff ratio, uh, ratio, which is replicated in the primary schools here in the locality. All a consequence of DASH funding. So to say, for example, and the further primary schools that are located here, as many of you will know, have now finally a commitment to have their building refurbished and to move into a new school building. So there has been investment in things like that. But what I want to acknowledge very clearly is that we need to do it differently because what we have failed on is to integrate and do it properly. And as the whole economy collapsed around us, here got hurt more. Okay, Paul Ryan, respond quickly. um, you're talking about the schools. Before the Docklands made a complete mess of everything, mm. yep. we were promised a brand new school for all eight kids. Yep. That €4 million Euro was lost in the Dublin Docklands Development Authority. Yep. That was never repaid, never given back to the community, sure. and we never got the promise. And we're talking about promises here. We never got the promise. Okay. And that we would have a new okay. school and, for eight and, kids. And, and, and Paul, I can be Quickly responsible now. for many things, but what I can't be responsible for is the catastrophe of property gambling that happened here beside us. That went like a wrecking ball through this community, okay? And that's why we're being so clear in what we're saying here as a government. What, and I'm so 
so privileged to represent this community as a local TD that I have for many years. And if there's one thing I've learned in doing that, is the solution that you try to enforce down on people is not going to work. So what we look to do, and I came along with the Taoiseach as a minister and not just as a local representative, is hear the different views from the many people there, and we will now respond back to that in the coming weeks. But it's going to take Okay, let me bring in Christy Burke. Do you trust that uh, plan of action? Well, first of all, before I answer that, could I just wish Pierce O'Leary well from this area who's off to the Euros the weekend in a boxing tournament. And also... Also, the other great talents that's lived and come from this area, the great Luke Kelly and Stephen Gately, and many more, and that should be acknowledged. You've also a great po- boxing pedigree who, who's achieved the international stage. And a whole lot. Uh, and, and everybody, and everybody, everybody. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> and uh, to answer just what Paul has said, uh, the Docklands couldn't even deliver a school uh, that was promised for this area Okay, let, let, me, let me give you a checkbook. What's needed here tomorrow? Well, what's needed here, first of all, is commitments. There has been political neglect. Mary Lou MacDonald has mentioned it, and I've seen the political neglect over the last 30 years. And don't forget, not, don't lose sight of the 80s and 90s, where over 250 young men and women died in the north inner city from heroin abuse, and there was nothing done. There was absolutely nothing. And now there has been uh, murders, and the government are coming in and making promises, or making, in on a listening exercise. We need... Investment. We need how political. Much? How much, Chrissy? Because I, every everybody can. I'm not an accountant. I, I can go to every single yeah, one in the can. club here, and yeah. they can say we need investment. We need but proper nobody investment. Nobody seems to tell me how much and when and where it should. Well, go. I'm sure that the task force. I'm sure that the task force that's about to be drawn up, and the Taoiseach says it'll be driven by government, and he will oversee it. I think that the specialists, the specialists of accountants, will make that up. Well, but I'm sure if you give the residents here some t- air time, I was going to they may give you an indication. One of the most Investment, people. education, jobs, commitment. That's what's needed okay, one to of the drive most, one of the most We've heard all the promises in the past. Promise the deers in the park, but you've got to catch them yourself. One of the most impressive people <laughs> I've met since I came here tonight is uh, a student from DCU, Mark Kelly. Uh, what do you think is needed? You're from the locality. You said in an article I read recently, Mark, which was extremely impressive, you said that the environment uh, here keeps you down. People keep telling you you cannot achieve. Why is that? Yeah, it's not more people coming in and telling you you can't achieve. It's more being told to be realistic. You know, you're growing up and you kind of have these big dreams. And as I said in the article, just because we're not from wealth doesn't mean we don't grow up and want a life of luxury or don't want big dreams. So it's, um, yeah. It's, it's, what, it's, what holds you back, I wonder then? Uh, again, it's, I think it's education. A lot of, There's not enough investment in education. You're kind of told when you're growing up that, you know, as again, a lot of our parents, a lot of my parents, you know, they're growing up and they probably leaving school, at, you know, sixth class and fourth year. So they don't have that natural kind of inclination to be pushing their, their kids for good results. So then they have that, that there's no way, um, that doesn't force on the kids. You kind of go off the streets, you see. So then you don't get the required results that you might need because it's not that it's not that important. It's not the thing that's in tune into your head, and it's, that's not a fault on the, sh- on the parents at all. Yeah, it's a fault on the system. But I think you said as well, and other people have said it that uh, those who peddle drugs around here and outside of here, they catch young people very uh, at, a, at an early age, and then they're on the hook. Not just in terms of taking dr- drugs themselves, the young people, but to, to carry drugs, to make threats, threats sometimes, and then as they grow older, to carry stuff out that they don't want to do. Yeah, I Does mean, that happen? 
Uh, people, I think, as in, they get trapped in a young age, and then before it's intimidation, and then again before it just progresses to a stage that just, they didn't originally need to progress to. I mean, you're growing up, you point people who's doing 16, getting you know involved in guys. They might have, you know, they might smoke a bit of marijuana, and then next of all, they have a little bit of a depth, and then that depth gets goes goes bigger and bigger, and then by the time you know it, then you're kind of you're kind of probably being too deep, and then even they they might have an addiction, they could have an addiction problem themselves. So, and then they're not treated even with the addiction issue; it's treated as a criminal issue rather than a health issue. And that's a, a serious. We'll get to, but can I come to uh, independent councillor Niall Ring? When you say, or when when Mark says, I should say, you, a young person can get debt from drugs, and then suddenly you're in too deep. Explain to people listening what that practically means. Well, what it means in practice is if if a young guy is is hiding a few drugs and getting a couple of hundred euros a week for hiding them or take, keeping them in his flat, and then it can graduate. Then the the drug dealer says to him, "Look, you can have some of them at a discount yourself." And suddenly he's minding the drugs. He's been paid nothing. He's been paid in drugs, and next thing he's addicted to drugs, and then he needs to get money to pay for the drugs, and he's caught in this vicious cycle and vicious circle that he can't get out of, and his life is effectively ruined. And then what comes down to it, and I know Anna Quigley is very familiar with cases, as as we all are, where suddenly the, the, these guys are knocking on the parents' doors and saying, "Now your son owes us twenty grand. What are you going to do about it?" And the parents, in some cases, and there's cases around here where people have had to sell sell assets, sell their houses, sell whatever they had, and so it's just that spiral of 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 death. Is that, is that something that you know of because you're Absolutely. a public? Do other pe- have other people heard of that here? Yes, yes. yes. that happens, does it? Yeah, we hear about that all the time. That's like that, that families, that that a young person, maybe stupid, gets into debt, takes a bit of drugs, is on the hook with with criminals, and suddenly the family's on the hook. Does yeah, and, and worse than that. Very Sometimes, the, happens, sometimes so. the family uh, is threatened. I mean, threats of physical <coughs> violence, threats of intimidation. This this happens. It, by the way, it doesn't just happen in this neighbourhood. Yeah. This is this is a absolutely. fact now of that whole yeah. scene. But it's terrifying. Absolutely, that thing of they're intimidation also, is a huge, huge issue for to carry out crimes. Uh, sorry, Joe Costello. Yeah, there are people who have owe money to the drug barns. And in lieu of paying it back, they're forced to carry out other crimes, which may be very serious crimes, as well as personal attacks. Aon of Reardon. That is Aon. I was in a meeting of, of, of parents affected by the drug issue, and a, and a, a woman told me a story about her, her son had a, had a cannabis habit. He developed a couple of hundred quid worth of debt. That gets doubled and tripled, and before she knew it, she had a young fellow at her door with a gun saying, your son owes me 5,000 quid. She went down to the credit union. She didn't go to the guards, didn't go to the authorities. Her only way of telling this story is as a support group which meets every Wednesday night in the local community centre and she had to go to the, community, to the credit union and get the five grand out. Okay? And that is a very kind of... It's a huge qu- debt. It's a huge debt, but it's, it's, it's a kind of an issue that isn't talked about because of the nature of the problem. But I would just want to make one, one very quick point about might. You know, people talk about investment, what type of investment? I think that's an important question to Mike because people say it needs to be investment. Need to talk, people talk about jobs on the rest of it. Um, there is a scheme up and running in the NCI. I mean, when you statistically ana- analyse, uh, you know, what, what children need at the, at the earliest age, if you have a three-year-old from a welfare-dependent family versus a three-year-old from a professional family, the three-year-old from a welfare-dependent family has one-third the oral language capacity of a three-year-old from a professional family. Why? Because of... Um, early school leaving of the parents, the education environment, or whatever. Okay, you. Uh, what happens, therefore, is that even when the child comes to school, there's a gap. 
So there's, uh, the assumption that the school can always make the difference, it can make a huge difference, but it's the empowerment of the parents makes all the difference. And what NCI are doing and other uh, schemes such as uh, Preparing for Life in Darndale and Young Ballymun are empowering parents, parents to make that essential difference from the moment of pregnancy until the, 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 the child goes to school. And that is having a massive impact. Now, to say that when a child comes to school at age four, that's when we invest, is far too late. Uh, parents have to be, empower- to be empowered to be, to be helped with, not always be talked about. And that is what, what will make a difference. In can, can I come to a number of people? I'll come to you in a second, Minister. I know you want to get in, but these are the stories, actually, that people never hear. People hear of gangland killings, murders on the street, innocent people being shot. You don't very often hear how people get to the stage where that happens. And can I ask... Can I ask you all to explain to me, and, and this, I, is, I, I, this, a, this is a very simple question, Jerry Fay, but you, you answer this for me. Why, when the families, when they get debt and get into that difficulty, why don't they go to the Gordy and say, I'm well, in this, in this uh, trouble? Yeah, I, I know. Well, why not? Why do you laugh? Why do you I, don't, I don't have to answer you that. You can, just hear the laugh. you can just hear the laughter in the room, yeah. and that's the answer. Fear. Is fear the answer? But the question you answered, how, how do we get fear. to that situation? Yeah. And but you get to that situation, as I said, when you go back, and when the when the order was was uh, given for the demolition of the flats, that effectively what was the benchmark. Now they didn't get away with it because at the, at the time a lot of us still lived in the flats, and we had people like Joe there and Christy there, and the late Tony Gregory and that, and we fought a hard battle over 11 years to get some houses built. But the reason the reason we are where we are, and the reason all this goes goes on, and the reason that happens in areas like Chelsea and north in the city, and it doesn't happen in the leafy suburbs of, of Clontarf or out in Darkie or anywhere else, and you'd have to ask why is that? Well, the answer uh, really is, is uh, if you look at what Hannah said about the SDZ, which is only passed two years ago uh, on Spencer Dock, and it takes out, it cuts out the most advantageous sector of, of this community, where all the new luxury apartments are built, and then they take the 2011 census figures to inform the plan and process. Uh, everybody's working in that section, there's very few kids and so on and so forth. And that was done primarily, primarily to facilitate the quick sale by NAMA to international funds and hedge funds. And let me point this out. Quickly, yeah. I, the, the particular site on Spencer Dock that was to deliver the 188 as part of the compliance of the building of the Luxury Apartments, that particular section is known as Block N. That was sold about 12 months ago to Heinz & Company, an international hedge fund from uh, Texas. And they have applied for and got permission to build 165 uh, two-bed Luxury apartments with private gyms, private gardens, a concierge in front, and that to me is social apartheid. Okay, and you're saying they're and, basically carving... And, and what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, when you create a situation of marginalisation, isolation, and you create what's it basically is a two-tier society, okay. and a permanent underclass, and you give people no hope, nothing, no hope whatsoever. After tw- I'm, I'm fighting 30 years for social regeneration, that's and I'm banging my head against the wall, but I keep going to meetings, hoping that some Day, well, we, the penny will drop. Well, that's that's 
what, that's what creates it. And I'll just finish on this point. The DDA held a Docklin conference three years ago in the Gibson Hotel. And one of the main speakers was uh, Professor uh, McLaren from the, uh, the, the Trinity, uh, the, the Centre for Urban Stud Studies and, uh, uh, urban and, uh, and uh, Studies uh, and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, he's a, prof he's a professor. He's an expert in the field. I never met him before, but he got up to speak at that conference and he commented on the proposed new plan. And he said, if this goes ahead, this SDZ, it's going to cause further ghettoization in areas like Sheriff Street and the, and the north in the city. He was saying we're going to have further ghettoization because it's of this gonna plan. Make, it's going to make Because of the nature worse. of this plan. That plan down there is social apartheid. It's, it's the greatest mistake since the building of the townships and stuff. That and, and can I, can I cuts I, us off completely. Can I ask Maureen O'Sullivan of another major divide? Because you mentioned to me in, in other programs, Maureen, that the problems in areas like uh, the, the north inner city are caused not here, but in areas like Dublin 2, Dublin 4, the middle class is taking drugs and they think, ah, it's only for a bit of fun. But it has serious consequences. Well, the point I was making to you that time is that whether you're somebody who's shooting up heroin in, a la in an alley in Dublin City, or whether you're doing your line of coke in a high-class restaurant or in a hotel or wherever, you're still fueling and you're still giving your money to the same dealers and the exact same dealers. And I really believe that middle class, and if we have upper class Ireland, need to stop and think about what they're doing. And we know the extent of that type of drug that is being taken every night and particularly at weekends in this city and not just in Dublin but every other city and town in Ireland it's the same drug dealers who are making millions and billions out of people's pain. And, th and, and that doesn't seem to get through. It doesn't and it's you know because we're not saying it often enough because the whole drug thing is, is concentrated on certain areas but it is everywhere. It is everywhere. Can I ask Minister, former Minister Pat Carey of Fianna Fáil, I spoke with you recently as well and you told me what the north inner city needs now is for millions to be pumped in for the next 20 years and jobs is going to solve it. But the problem, Pat, is your government in Fianna Fáil and the last government made cutbacks that hurt this place very, very badly. How can you justify that now? With difficulty. I don't present that it's easy. We're bedeviled in this country, Cormac, with a stop-start approach to everything. Uh, we have great plans and, uh, you know, we, we half do them and then they're abandoned and they're, they're, they're changed. I was on the City Council for for nearly 20 years, I think it was, with Christie and with, with Joe Costello and so on. I've seen some of these developments. There have been investments, but it's stuttered uh, investment, quite frankly. And what does happen, as soon as there is any kind of uh, a lull in the development of the economy, the first things to be caught are pupil-teacher numbers, the extra the hours that make the difference to the after-school clubs, the youth workers who are able to work with them, the, the community activists' projects. And it's I was part and I quickly was well able to criticise me for some of the decisions I took, and I hold my hands up. We need to empower civil society in areas like here, but not just here, right across the country. And that's the kind of work I'm doing now uh, and I'm enjoying it. We need to have people like Jerry Fay, who are, I call them the piece of gravel in the shoe, who simply don't go away and, and they, they need to be inconvenient because the one thing that I, I say is unless we stick at this 
for at least 20 years. We may as well not start at okay. all. Can I come to Julie? Uh, and by the way, you're a very brave man to call uh, Jerry Faye a piece of gravel when he's... <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I come to Julie O'Toole? Uh, you, you tell me you're a, uh, you're, you have a question from Minister yeah. Pascal Donoghue. Yes, I have. Um, every, I, most people know me in this room and... Uh, 20 years, I wouldn't say recovering drug addict because, you know, it was a long time ago. 20 years, um, I was addicted to everything. I grew up in this area. I was actually born and bred it in the flats, St. Bridget's Gardens. And my question is... And you're clean 20 years. Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Married, have two lovely yeah. children. And I work with people... Anybody that needs help, I'll help You've you. You've totally turned your life around. Totally I'm delighted turned. for you. What's your yes. question then? My question is, like, to the recovering people, the recovering drug addicts, right now, on the top of me, on me, me fingers, I have a couple of people that have gone through recovery and are coming out, and they're going back into this society. So what's for them? Like, I went to the States over 20 years mm -hmm. ago, and I had to go and back and live back in Cherry and by the grace of God I managed to stay there and stay there and the people that got me me flat and got me my house now are, si now are sitting in this room but I want to know in all of this right the people we're together we'll do anything but what is the government doing because to me it doesn't look like you're together to, to help to, to end help the Kenny it doesn't look like they're together we're together we've always been together but my question is, what are you doing for rehabilitation? Okay. What are you doing for them thousands of people that are coming out of rehab? Because there is people that is getting clean. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all shooting and killing. Yes, we have to deal with that. But there is stories that people are getting okay. clean. I, I, and you're I wrote, listen, I wrote a book, Heroin, okay? I never went to school. I left school after me confo, like many people in Cherry Street. I went for a job and I was refused a job. You know why? Because I wasn't educated, but yet I was able to, to write, write the a book. book. So you tell me, what's, what are you going to do for the people? I'm speaking for them people that are homeless. I'm speaking for the people that are recovering drug addicts and I'm speaking, speaking for the people that want to get clean. Okay, so let's have the answer. Sure. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, we're building a state-of-the-art care primary care centre around the corner in Summerhill. This is the kind of investment and project that was promised in this area for decades and never happened. We began working that on Friday. The sod was turned. It's going to be open in 18 to 24 months. What's it going to have? It's going to have the kind of services that you need to travel to. They're going to be located locally. That's what we're doing. And can I just agree with something you said there, if I may, please? You, and probably only you can say it, given the life story you've had, you've talked about it not all being doom and gloom. And you've Lots pointed, and you've pointed to the, pro of course, and you've pointed to the progress that you've made. And one of the things I'm struck by here is Cormac was correctly bringing up, and I know it's a problem because I represent, here I want to represent you, I want to represent an even better community in a decade's time, okay? We were pointing to the trauma, to the tragedy of children being involved in crime, okay? And children who are too young, who shouldn't be in this position. But could we also acknowledge, as you did a moment ago, the great things kids are involved in here. If you walk into the primary schools that are located here, which we had the meeting in on Monday night, I talked about the high investment that's in that school. But you go in there, you see the care in there, you see the vibrancy in there. The initiative that Aon O'Riordan talked about a moment ago, the early intervention centre, for... Uh, led, but no, I want to, I want to make... Can I, can hold I on, hold on. Hold on, wait. No, 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 wait. What about the people 
people that do go into addiction okay. and there's no way for them to go and get cured. And Julie, you're going to send them back to Sheriff Street? Well, actually, you're going to send them back to Summer Hill? I think, I, I, I think you've put your finger on a, on a, on a point. Hold on now. I want to get to this point. Julie has put her finger on a point. It's about drug addicts. And I think former Minister Aon Arirdon brought it up recently as well. And it, it's in relation to the misuse of drugs bill that Simon Harris uh, has altered. <clears throat> and I think, um, Aon, you were saying that the Labour approach was to treat people who are addicted to drugs like patients, people who need help. And you think that the Fine Gael way is to treat them like criminals. Is that what you said? Well, can I first say that... Uh Judy's sister's Livy is one of the best footballers that ever came out of this area. Just want to put that, put, put that on there. Uh, Those cap footballers on, uh, on record. And I met, I met her in Paris at the weekend. Actually, we're having a good time. Um, just on, on the substantive issue, uh, on the drug issue. Look, I come from a particular perspective. I think Anna Quigley probably shares my point of view. Issues of people coming out of addiction, they still have gone through a criminal process. They're still treated effectively as people with a criminal past, and. What they did in Portugal 15 years ago was to basically change the entire focus of the approach. I'll give you an example. Um, only around the corner in Conley Station two months ago, there was a heroin overdose in a, in, a, in a toilet in Conley Station. A man was dragged out, clearly had had an overdose. There was a situation in Foley Street only around the corner again two months ago where a similar situation had taken place. Two people died of heroin overdoses. It didn't even get to, uh, to you know, the newspapers or protests or, or, or any major public comment because I still think we have a culture of victim blaming. That people who are in addiction, at some level society says it's kind of your fault. Right Now, I think we have to take that whole approach and change it radically and do what the Portuguese did. In Portugal, 90% of what they spend in the drugs area is on health, 10% is police. Okay, hey, no, this is Ireland. I know, I know. I know, well, I know, well, well, I know but there's not enough beds for know, people to get I know, absolutely. absolutely. Hold on, that's the point. Thing, right, in fact, that's the point I'm making, Judy. But can I throw that open? Can I throw that open? Sorry, sorry. Who says, I'll come back to you. I was halfway through my point. I'll come back to you. But who says, treat drug addicts like criminals or who says treat them like uh, people who need help? People Cormac. who need help. Cormac. Cormac. Yeah. Cormac. Help it. I'm yeah. Let, yeah. let yeah. Aon finish. I just want to, come back to, just want to finish the point, okay? Yeah. I think it, what they do in, in, in the States in terms of the investment is 90% policing, 10% uh, health. If you have an addiction, you have to treat it as a patient. If you have a family member, by the way, let's, now let's get back to that, okay. that woman that I spoke about earlier with the 5,000 euro drug debt, yeah. right? Yeah. The reason why, if she finds a quantity of drugs in her kid's school bag or whatever, college bag, she is less likely to go to the authorities if she feels that her child would get a criminal conviction for possession. So I feel that this new Mistress uh, Drugs Act is a missed opportunity, potentially, to treat possession of drugs as an issue that somebody that an addict okay. has, has Instead of instead of really focusing where the attention needs to go, which is on the pushers. Okay, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the minister respond. But Christy Burke, treat yeah. people in in addiction with dignity and integrity. That's the first thing. Provide proper treatment centres. Yes. Provide residential services. Yes. And above all, provide adequate aftercare. But you know because people will be, say you no, know no, people no, will no, get no, tough Palmer, on crime. That's there's what some a methadone mentality by the medical profession yes, in this country yeah. where you have men and women yeah. 20 and 25 years on 80 mils of methadone. Unacceptable. If you go to the Bronx, there's a blind methadone detox, there's a two-year aftercare, the private sector comes in, they offer apprenticeships, they offer employment and they all pull together. That's doesn't happen yeah. Doesn't happen yeah. Hold on, oh, hold on. Pat Carey, some yeah, people, some people will say... Have failed. Okay, but they some people will say, and, and people listening to this programme, that's not right. 
get tough on crime. It doesn't matter who commits. That's what some people say. Cormac, look, we, we can go and toss on all the phrases you like. I always felt that we need to treat substance misusers of all types as patients of the health system and not as criminals or potential criminals. If I could ask one thing of the government, what I would ask them to do, the national drug strategy, which was developed by, I was going to say the late Pat Rabbit, but by, by Pat <laughs> Rabbit and by, by others. I, I had the privilege of being there. Aon has been there. Most of what Julie talked about is in that strategy. What it needs is to be resourced. For example, the, the rehabilitation pillar of it, I think there's one person left working in it at this stage. It's a shame and, and, and it's a disgrace. Now that there are resources available, go back and have a comprehensive substance misuse strategy which includes alcohol and okay. talks about a, a, mental health. An awful health. lot of people but on it. Mary you, know, you know what? I mean, actually, to this argument in a way, I, I, I think anybody who, who knows anything understands that policing is not the answer to drug addiction. I think anybody with, a, with an ounce of sense realises that, of course, you treat people in addiction as human beings and you treat their medical and their spiritual and their social needs. We know all of that. But that actually means nothing unless, as Julie is quite rightly pointing out, you're putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. So while, while you don't have the rehabilitation facilities and beds and the care that's required, it becomes an academic argument. I want to say this, though, on Simon Harris's uh, legislation on prescription uh, drugs. I think that's the right thing to do. I don't think we can have a situation where blister packs of pills in, in big, big quantities go, go around the district. You, everybody in this room knows where the hotspots are and everybody knows the neighbours giving out saying they're at this and the, the guardies see them and nothing is being done. Something has to be done about that. But we would be stupid to imagine that that's the, the full answer. Okay. Of course it's not the full answer. It comes back to the word of investment and political yeah. priority. Maureen that's O'Sullivan. This is about. The Cinderella of the National Drug Strategy has always been prevention and education. And we don't give it the, the consideration and the resourcing that it needs. And part of the reason is because it's very difficult. Because what will prevent one person from turning to drugs and alcohol and addiction is the very thing that will encourage somebody else to do that. But I keep calling that we need to look at that in much, much better, better detail and resource that. Because if we get in at that level, the other things that happen might not happen. Minister Pascal Donoghue. I'm just conscious of time and everybody wanting to put it, make a point. I just want to make two points. Uh, uh, the first one is, is the uh, bill that has been brought in is to deal with prescription drugs which this community has been crying out for for years regarding the legal grey area in relation to that. Mm -hmm. The second area that will be legislated for on later on in the year is to deal with the issue of medically supervised injection centres, which is the very opposite of trying to criminalise anybody who has a drug difficulty. It's the very opposite of that. It's trying to provide a new approach to bring people in who are very vulnerable, who can't access current services, to give them support so that they can be safe and so they can access more services beyond that. And the final point in relation to investment that has just been touched on. We heard Aon earlier on refer to the early intervention programme that has been run by the National College of Ireland. That's funded by the government. 
that's the kind of initiative that we need to do more of and build upon. So you're saying good things are happening. Like, Anna, yeah. Good things are happening. Can I just but say more quickly, of them um, need to happen. Okay. coming back to what Pat referred to, in 1996, um, where Pat Rabbit's report, it was the first time ever the government acknowledged there was a serious drugs problem in the country. But one of the key things they did at the time, and they acknowledged it openly, they said there is a huge gap between the people who make the policies and the people who are living in these situations. And they said we shouldn't let that happen again. That's why they set up the task forces so that local people and it's it's not just about the money what what the message was when money comes into this area to deal with drugs that people locally should have a say in how it's spent and that's key because it means you can look at what the local priorities are and just to say that 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 happened for a few years. It hasn't happened for years and years. And one example, the only new money that's come into the task force in the last couple of years was about 42,000 that came last year from dormant accounts. Now, it's not a lot of money, but it would have been great. But you know what happened? It didn't come back to the local task force to decide what to do with that, to decide this is what we need most in this area. The civil servants in the Department of Health decided okay. how that Anna, money was... Anna, we're told that, 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 that is a key issue. How much money does issue. the North Final word to Gary Gannon. Are you hopeful, Gary Gannon, that things will change? That this will be a pivotal move now? This new plan will work? Yeah, of course, we're always hopeful. But for me, I think one of the big things that we haven't talked about at the moment, and Pascal's talked a lot about kind of investment in education, we still have the lowest intakes of students going on the third level education in the country, in the north inner city. That needs to change. One thing Shara Street absolutely needs is a secondary school. I mean, the community's been crying out for that. That needs to change. Yes, of course, we're always hopeful, but I mean, we've been let down in the past, so there is that fear there, but I mean, it's a great community here. Okay, the man behind you, Mark Kelly, briefly wants to get in. Yeah, I was just saying in, term just saying in terms of... Uh, <laughs> Pascal was saying that drugs are no longer considered a criminal issue. Just around the corner on my way here, I seen an addict, you know, out on the street setting up his bed for the night. Yeah. The, the situation is, if that was a certain person sitting out there with depression, everybody would be around them and everybody would be, and if he had an actual illness, people, the public need to be educated yeah. in terms of, like, uh, on, the, on the crime, on drugs not being a criminal issue, it needs to be a health issue. Be proactive. There, Final word to sorry. Niall Ring. Yeah, we know education is the key. And when you look at the likes of Julie O'Toole, and I've spoken to Julie, Julie wants to give back to this community because of what she went through. Brilliant that she could give something back. But because she hasn't got that piece of paper, she can't get a, a third level education. We need positive discrimination to get the likes of Julie O'Toole and all the other people who will help help our community. Uh, an because off- it's hope, ambition, and it's, it's there. Well, it's there we'll, in we'll end on a note of hope. An awful lot of people wanted to get in. I'm really sorry we don't have the time, but as Enda Kenny said, he said he will be back. We will be back as well to keep an eye on the new plan, to keep an eye on the goals, and to see if they are delivered for the area. My thanks to everybody. It, my thanks to everybody who has welcomed us from the Sheriff Youth Clubs. My, my youth club. My thanks to Anne Farrell, Dave Sherry, Anthony Sweetie, Pather Carney, and Damien Chanel who helped put the program on air. Thank you very, very much indeed, everyone from Sheriff Street and surrounding areas. That's it from us.